0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles or click to our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be looking at that in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, we're glad you're with us. My name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. And uh, we are in this series looking at the rhythms by which God liberates people. There's a pattern that God shows in scripture if we pay attention to it that we could learn a whole lot about of drawing close to him and receiving what he has in store for us. <clears throat> and I want to ask you a question. If we we're in a classroom setting, I'd say, hey, take out a piece of paper. We're going to take a pop quiz and just number it to one. And here's the question of the morning while you're thinking about it. When was the goal of the Exodus realized? When did what God promised to Abraham through Moses, when did that come to fruition, excuse me when was it fully accomplished there's a lot of good answers it could be the night of the Passover and that seems reasonable when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea when they received the law on Mount Sinai when they crossed the Jordan River and conquered Jericho and the city fell when all of that came about when David became king and united the people is that the moment when you could say that what God promised to do he did Now, all of those are steps in the process without question, but I want to take you all the way back to week one if you were with us in this series when we started it. One of the things I told you is when you read the book of Exodus, there's something fascinating about Exodus. The first half of it is just thrilling. The story of Moses being called, his story, the the plagues, the freedom, the chase, the the conquering of Egypt, the drowning of the army, the entering the promised land, that's great storytelling. Then you get to the last half and it's how to build the tabernacle, and what to do, and what tools to use, and how to set apart the priest, and everybody checks out by then. They're like, I'm just going to move on. Because I love the first part but this. I'm not sure the relevance of the last half of Exodus. But what we told you in week one, I want to remind you of as we go through this series. The Exodus story always begins in slavery, and it always ends in worship. It doesn't end in freedom freedom to do whatever you want, to live independently, to make your own choices, to not have to answer for anything. It always begins in slavery, but it ends in worship. You might remember what God told uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh. He was to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may come and worship me, that they may go out and serve me. See, God's not asking them to trade one tyrant for another tyrant. God is asking them to experience liberation in the most beautiful way because as we've learned slavery to God is the only freedom you'll ever experience and it's beautiful it's perfect see the story of God when he called Moses he wasn't just inviting them to a new place to live he was inviting them into a new way to live a new experience of life that was liberating and freeing so this morning i want to show you as we continue and we get into first kings i want to show you that this rhythm of God's liberation is presenting itself beautifully Here's the first thing I want to celebrate with you this morning. In the Exodus, God does more than deliver us. He delivers himself to us. I'm going to answer the question for you here in a moment, when did the Exodus fulfilled? But I need you to understand that God does more than deliver us. He delivers himself to us. And this is where the power of our liberation is to be found. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. Remember, David asked if he could build a place for worship of God in the city of Jerusalem, and God said, I'm going to allow you to get the materials, but you're not going to build it. Your son is going to build it. And his son Solomon did. Verse 12. As for this temple you're building, this is the word of the Lord, as for this temple you're building, if you follow my decrees... Observe my laws, keep all my commands and obey them. I will fulfill you through the promise I gave to David your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built a temple and he completed it. God said to Solomon, I'm going to allow you to build it, but there's going to be a, a condition placed on this. My presence will be with you if you honor it. If you don't honor my presence, my presence will be gone. He made this clear. 500 years after the Passover, 500 years after they left Egypt, the temple was completed and the king's palace was completed, significant amount of time. So I want to encourage us as we go through this storyline, understand that God's never in a hurry and he's never late. His timing is always perfect even when we have to wait. In fact, I'll say it this way, God's timing is always perfect even when we don't live long enough to see it. Because God is not conscripted by time. He's not limited by our lifetime. God's promises last forever and they fulfill everyone, even those that have gone on. So the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the city. It's placed in the temple that's been built. And there's this great coronation moment where the presence of God is honored and the people gather together. Chapter 8, verse 56. Solomon proclaims at the completion of the temple and the dedication of it, Verse 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. So when was the Exodus complete? It was complete at the building of the temple and the dedication by God of that space. But the building of the temple would have been for them the dwelling place of God. It's hard, it's hard for us to see it as anything more than a building. At least it is for me. So this is like an amusement park. It's a museum. It, it's, a, it's a moment in time that we mark with a, you know, a, a green state parks sign. But it was more to them than that. They had been led by God by the pillar of cloud and fire. They had seen the presence of God appear on Mount Sinai for 40 days and shake the earth. They knew that the presence of God was not just something that you might want to go to occasionally and check out because it's cool. They lived and died based on that. And this temple was a place to honor that the presence of God was available to them. It did not obligate God, but it was a place to honor and the meeting of heaven and earth. And if you read through these passages in the Old Testament, you're going to see that when Solomon built the temple, there's a lot of description in the accounts of how it was decorated. Pomegranates, palm trees, fruit, birds, animals. And when you walked inside, it it wasn't just a building. It was a space to create this environment, this reminder. In fact, the inside and the outside was interesting because they would have two angels at the door. And inside would be all of this produce and this garden effect. The temple was actually built to remind us of the Garden of Eden when the presence of God, as we used to sing, and he walked with me and he talked with me and he told me I was his own. In the garden. And the angels outside the garden would remind them that we are only in the presence of God by the permission of God. By the gifting of God, by the holiness of God. You see, in the Exodus, God delivers more than us. He delivers himself and his presence to us. He gives back to us what we threw away. It's a beautiful gift. Chapter 8, verse 26. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. And then Solomon asked a great question. But will God really dwell on earth? Is this tiny little building we built, is this anything for God? Will God dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you? How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. It's a beautiful moment. Solomon gets it. Solomon's like, the gift is not this building, the gift is not this riches, the gift is that your presence is going to be here, and please, God, turn your face toward us when we come to this place and pray to you, and God says, I will. Solomon, I told you, this is what I will do, but as part of any covenant, there's two sides to it. There's our allegiance to the God of the covenant, and there's God's allegiance to the people of the covenant. Now, if we could stop 1 Kings at 1 Kings chapter 8, I could send you out really early, and you would love me for that. I could send you out really early, and I could say, and they lived happily ever after. Except we all know that humans have an allergy to happy ever after, don't we? And we don't deal with that really well. We're going to try to make it better, and by making it better, we often make it worse. The temple is built and dedicated. The glory of God has come and dwells in their midst. Israel is settled, rich, peaceful, and happy, and all that God promised has come true because God delivers more than us. He delivers himself to us. But I want you to also know that through the Exodus, God's people must deliver themselves completely to God. God does not ask for part of us, occasionally a thought, a kind gesture on a Sunday morning. God desires more. He doesn't demand more he invites us to more and we must completely deliver ourselves to him that's part of our liberation is the freedom to leave the land of slavery and enter into the land of worship the reoccurring theme is that we see that God does not disengage many people say God has left me no no God does not leave his people his people leave God they disengage they change allegiance Solomon is a perfect example of a man who was given an opportunity to stand before God and God said to him, whatever you ask of me, I will grant you as David's son. And Solomon says, give me wisdom to rule. And God says, by giving you wisdom, I'm going to give you more than wisdom. And for a season, Solomon is a man after God's own heart until he's not. And what happens is God does not disengage from Solomon. Solomon decides that his glory, his pursuit of his own glory is more important than God's glory that his power and the pursuit of his power is more important than honoring God's power and living under it. And this is human nature's story. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all that he desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon, and the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father. Verse 6. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them then I will cut off from Israel the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples and the temple will become a heap of rubble. Solomon, who showed the same courage and resolve that Abraham, Moses, and Joshua, and David did. The same courage it takes to follow God above other things. The same resolve to say, I will serve no other but my God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To make that choice and to stick with it takes more than just a one-time emotional choice. It takes a commitment every day of our lives to deliver ourselves to the presence of God. And in this moment, we learn what Solomon had to learn. That we will question God's authority over us when we question God's character. When we do not believe that God is good or wise, then we will become our own ruler. And Solomon chooses to not believe that God knows what he's talking about. And it changes everything. The ability to listen, trust, and obey was gone. Because there's no trusting and obeying if there's no paying attention to what God has clearly asked. So what does Solomon do? He starts by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. He allies himself with the king of Egypt, who once they had to escape, 500 years, and he's lost all the history and understanding that the answer is not in Egypt, the answer will never be in Egypt. In chapter 11, verse 1, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women beside Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from nations from which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Can we pause here for a moment? Oh, you already beat me there? Okay, fair enough. If Solomon's dumb enough to blame those women, then Solomon's an idiot. Disobey God, they didn't lead him astray. Solomon's pride, his own glory. These, these alliances with these wives were national, or international rather. They were connecting him to other kings so that they could be allied in battle and power and authority and human nature is undefeated. When we get the chance to grab our own glory, most of us reach with both hands. Now, a friend of mine, Mike Smith, asked me if I could list all the wives, but we don't have time. <laughs> and I don't think Solomon probably knew their names because Solomon was using them for purposes so far beyond God's intention for marriage, for the king. Then he acts like Pharaoh. He starts forcing labor of his own people to construct buildings and monuments to his own power and glory. He gets a fleet of ships and puts them on the Red Sea. Are you noticing this? He's turning his face toward Egypt. The epitome in both Exodus and in revelation of the great city of Babylon, turning toward the power of the world and not honoring the power and authority and glory of God. He becomes an old man, no longer leaning on God's wisdom, no longer fearing the Lord, but living for himself. He establishes idolatrous sacrifices throughout the land, and then a prophet appears to Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam is the man that Solomon has put in charge of all the enslaved labor that he's using to build his own monuments, Interestingly enough, isn't it, that God turns to Jeroboam and sends a prophet to Jeroboam because he can't speak to the king just like he could not speak to Pharaoh because Pharaoh would not listen, neither would Solomon listen. So you have this moment that this prophet comes to Jeroboam and says, he takes off his cloak, which was a sign of being a prophet. He took it off and he tore it into 12 strips. And he handed 10 strips to Jeroboam. He kept two for himself. Look with me in chapter 11, verse 31. Take 10 pieces for yourself. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me. And worshipped other gods, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decree and laws as David Solomon's father did. Let's pause here for a moment. Let me ask you a simple question. Feel free to answer. Was David a perfect man? I'll try another one then. Did David do everything God asked him all the time? And yet God honored him. Why? Because David knew how to repent and return to God when he had walked away. And what he's saying. Here in verse 36, I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. God is not calling for us to be perfect. He's calling for us to trust him. And when Solomon stopped trusting God, he would no longer obey God. So in an act of judgment on Solomon and his nation, God has taken and split the 12 tribes into 10 and 2. And the ten go with Jeroboam. And Jeroboam does what nobody in scripture should do. He turns toward Egypt. He moves closer to Egypt. And he establishes places of sacrifice. Because he doesn't trust that if he goes back to Jerusalem. To the holy temple for the city of sacrifice. That, Je- that Rehoboam, Solomon's son, will not kill him. And take back the people. And the nation's divided. Just as God said it would be if we don't trust him. When we're led by our own power and authority, we will be misled. And then Solomon was a tyrant. He put the people under suppression. He beat them. He punished them. If they didn't give him everything he wanted, he became Pharaoh. Rehoboam, his son, gathers his counselors together, and he decides, how should I lead? And his counselors said, don't don't be like your father. The people began to despise your father, but love them and serve them and care for them, and they will love and serve and care for you. And Rehoboam doubles down. He's like, nah, I'm going to make it worse. And so like a fool, he begins to punish the people. And he loses the heart of the people. and He's a king only in title. Jeroboam begins to establish places of worship that were not what God asked for. Begins to build altars where sacrifices are made to other gods. And in the space of just a few years, the freedom of the exodus is lost to the slavery of rebellion. Listen, trust, and obey is all God's ever asked of us. Not to be perfect, but to choose him. You see, God delivers more than us in the liberation. He delivers himself to us. And God's people must deliver themselves daily to him. Not in fear, but in respect and love. Third point I want to make today you see, the exodus of deliverance is continuous for those rescued by truth and obedience. I know we're living in a world, and I know some of you are thinking, where are we going with this? Like, Mark, you said we have to do all these things to make God happy? No, I'm not saying you have to do all those things to make God happy. What I'm saying is when you know who God is because you've listened, and you trust who God is because he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, obedience is not punishment. Obedience is opportunity to experience what it means to be truly free, to live where you can worship what's worth worshiping and not what controls you. An unnamed prophet comes from Judah to confront Jeroboam. He has the ten tribes. And this unnamed prophet appears to him with the miraculous sign of God's judgment on him and splits the altars that he has built and destroys them. And in chapter 13, verse 2, the prophet says, By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar. Altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born in the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of this high place who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. Well, that's a happy message. Prophet shows up to Jeroboam and says, dude, these altars are your end. And he destroys the altars, and he says, and God is going to do a work, and he's going to bring a king named Josiah. Now, what I want you to understand is, God may delay, but he's never late. So 300 years later, turn with me to 2 Kings 22. 300 years later, what God said would happen, happens. And God's judgment has been brought on a people that were continuously disobedient. The Prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Isaiah lived in these days. They talk about what God is going to do if the people don't repent. When you read their messages, they were constantly calling folks like you and I to listen to God, trust God, and obey what he's asking because therein is our freedom. And in this moment, well, during the days of the prophet of Jeremiah, there was a king named Manasseh. Manasseh has an awesome title in scripture. He's known as the most evil man who ever reigned. And he, he just, he was the worst. But the problem was, he was the son of a man named Hezekiah, who was known as a man after God's own heart. A king who led for God, not for himself. Manasseh comes in and he's power hungry, and he's crazy, and he's maniacal, and he sacrifices children on altars, and God... In fact, the word of God says he seduced the people of Israel to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had previously destroyed. This wasn't a king who had a bad day. This is a king who chose a bad way. And his son Ammon becomes king at 22. He's worse than his father. He just follows his father's trades and doesn't listen to God. He was assassinated two years into his reign. At home, he had an eight-year-old son named Josiah. 300 years after the prophet announced it, God delivered a child into this world named Josiah. Josiah is eight years old and he becomes king. That's ridiculous, right? 25-year-olds can't be king. Eight-year-olds should never be king. He's surrounded by a group of counselors, however, who led him in the way of the Lord. They were different than his father, these counselors surrounded him and realizing what Manasseh and Ammon had done, they take Josiah and they train him up in the way of the Lord. And at 16, he comes to seek the Lord with all of his heart and mind. Look at chapter 22, verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. He showed courage and resolve. What Solomon would not, Josiah did. And in the 20th year of his reign, he began to purge the land of idolatry. Realizing that this wasn't right, he got rid of the temple places and the idol worship and he began to act like a king who was following a king. And he fulfilled God's will. At the age of 26, he decided to repair and cleanse the temple. And while repairing and cleansing the temple, they found a copy of the law of God. Manasseh had tried to burn and get rid of all of it. One was kept, probably a good priest, hid it in the temple hoping one day someone would discover it and they do. They bring it to King Josiah and even as a young man, he has this much wisdom. He has it read to him and when he is broken by how clear God was, when he listened to God and trusted God, he realized that they weren't obeying. And Josiah does the thing that I wanna talk about this morning as I wrap up. Josiah personally repents before he expects anybody else to obey. Josiah tears his clothes in front of the people. He announces that he is turning his heart back to God, that God has been clear and God has been worthy, and Josiah leads the nation by leading himself. And the nation gathers around, and he calls all the people, and they read the law of God, hours and hours and hours of reading what God had expected, and the people then hearing how clear it was what God asked for. Listen, trust, obey. The people repent. And the people call out and say, we will do what God has asked of us. And there's a great moment of of power to realize that that the repentance before God is an instantaneous thing. It takes a lifetime to live it out, but God receives when we break ourselves before him and admit we need him. Look with me at chapter 22, verse 19 a prophetess, a female prophet comes to Josiah and she says these words. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. You might remember back as we were reading what God promised Solomon. Solomon, if you and the people will focus on my presence as the gift, I will keep this place a place of holiness and presence and power and unity. But should you turn from me, I will turn from you. And here Josiah was realizing that all that God had promised over these 500 plus years now, 800 years That the people of Israel were hard hearted and refused to honor the glory of God. They refused to listen, trust, and obey. And those that did were spared, but those who didn't were punished. Josiah would experience God's mercy personally, and many in his nation would receive that same mercy. The king did not wait for the temple to be completed. He gathered everybody. They read the book, no doubt including the words of Jeremiah and maybe Zephaniah, and in the temple courtyard, they gathered and they gave themselves to the word. When we forget the truth of our freedom in God, we will forget the obedience that's needed. When we don't know what God wants, when we won't spend time in the word of God and in the community of God building one another up, I want you to understand obedience becomes optional. But when you gather in community and you know the love and the truth and the power of God and when the glory of God is what we treasure then our obedience becomes our worship. Because our liberation begins in slavery and it's only fulfilled in worship. You see, our freedom is never more expressed than when we choose to obey. Which to an American seems like such an oddity. You're never more free than when you get to worship God and you get to honor him. Josiah would die four years before a king named Nebuchadnezzar would come in and take the city of Jerusalem by storm and destroy the temple and take the Ark of the Covenant and many of the people into captivity. That's why you know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why you know why the the temple was torn down as God said it would be. The, The place built for his presence was being ignored and they lost everything. And Josiah passed just before that. 600 years after Josiah's death, another prophet, another king would come into Jerusalem. And while the temple was destroyed and they were attempting to rebuild it by the plans of man, he established a new temple. The presence of God was no longer needed to be in a location. The sacrifice would be made on a Friday and that king would walk out of a tomb on a Sunday. And the place of worship, the presence of God was no longer located on the top of a mountain in this remote place. It's actually abides in each one of us who are filled with the presence of that king, who are filled with his Holy Spirit. Yet that Holy Spirit that abides in you is showing you God's glory, is connecting you to the power and source of a life that's dedicated to God as the treasure. If you attend here long, you know that one of the things uh, that I truly believe in is that there's a way to engage with the word of God. It, sometimes it's just your head, it's a thought. Sometimes it's your heart. It's a a change in who you become. And sometimes it's your hand. God calls us to do things. But this morning, it's really simple. How do you engage your head to, to walk the path that Josiah walked rather than the path that Solomon walked? How do you hold on to the liberation God's given you in Jesus Christ? For your head? Listen. Listen to what the word of God says. And to do that, you have to be in the word of God. And if your Bible study is, is hard and anemic and, and you don't always connect with it and you don't even know where to start, we want you to know the Pathway Center is it created for us that you might go in and say, how do I begin to, to think and to listen and to pay attention to what God's doing? We would love to walk with you because Bible study is always better in community. Always. For those of you that want to engage your hearts, you've listened to the word of God. Give yourself to trust him. Humble yourself before the Lord and say, I often put other things in front of you. My glory, my my fame, my money, my career, my my family have all come before you. And I want you to understand, the liberation and worshiping God first makes all of those things more beautiful, more united, more connected. And for those of you who want to know how you're to engage your hands, obey. Read the word of God and do what he asks of you. Learn to see how good he is. Listen, trust, obey. It's what Josiah chose to do that Solomon did not. And God will sit in judgment on Solomon, like he'll sit in judgment on me, and he'll sit in judgment on you. And to those who reject him, he'll sit in judgment on the power that you have given your life to protect you. And for those of us who are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and trust him with our everything, That allegiance, God will judge us for what we offered back to the king. You see, one gets judged for what we give to the king, and one gets judged for what we never gave to the king. Some of us in this room have never taken a knee before King Jesus. For one reason or another, you're stuck in a spot where you're like, I'd come to church and listen, but I've never actually bowed before him and say, you are the glory, you are my hope, you are my king. And we would invite you today to make that choice. Share that with somebody or come talk to us at the prayer center and simply say, I I wanna give my life to Jesus because he wants you to give your life to Jesus, not because you're gonna be perfect, but because you're gonna be his. And for those of us who have already taken a knee before King Jesus, I ask you this morning, do it again, every day. Every day awaken to say, my King, my King's glory, my King's authority, my King's power is what has freed me and it is what will keep me free. Serve him out of love. Express your freedom in worship, not in independence. And watch what the mercy of God does in your life. Let's stand together and worship that king. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.